0: what's up guys we hit the less than 30 days mark to opening day i can't believe it went so fast this weekend's opening for youth season so that'd be awesome if anybody can send us some pictures with deer or no deer we'll, we'll love to see them and then the following weekend is early doe i don't think i'm going to partake into it um i just don't have time I, I think i would rather just save my time do all my honey do list and uh get all my work done save it for opening day and then uh if anybody wants to give us a five-star review on apple or spotify that'd be great i appreciate it that it just helps us boost us in the algorithm to help you know find new listeners and all that that would be greatly appreciated. appreciate it so this episode was uh kind of a new thing for us we did a video slash phone call with rob Yarmart. probably fucked that name up real good but uh He's a really good archer and a really good hunter. We just sit down and we kind of break down how he progressed in his 3D archery and or just target archery in general. And then uh, he kind of gives us some really good bow tips and, you know, tuning tips. I mean, he breaks it down pretty good for us to, you know, even some simple stuff and and all that. And then he just uh, mentions his, his uh, out-of-state hunts and all that and how he broke that down and did the process of that and what he has going on so I really appreciate him coming on here and uh, if you guys have any suggestions on people you want to come on here or whatever just let us know we got some people in the works right now so but everybody's really busy before season so I understand but I hope you guys enjoy the episode this is the generations to hunt podcast. Where the goal is to learn together and further the culture of hunting.
1: Thanks for listening. Thanks for
2: listening. Thanks for listening. No problem. Yeah, if you guys have some specific questions, anything like that, again i'm an open
0: book and uh i yeah I, i'll just keep talking yeah so we'll grab it we we'll grab hole it doesn't matter like
2: a, yeah
1: i'm sure questions will more than likely come up as you're talking uh probably more okay. for me than him as i know a lot less about this side of hunting than i do actual deer yeah yeah no problem at all so yeah
2: I lo- this is the stuff i love talking about man so yeah. i mean i have a wrestling and coaching background i mean i used to that's we can talk about wrestling too
1: so
3: So. yeah he used (laughs) to wrestle
2: yeah so So i did it for 20 years yep so coached uh high school and and collegiately and stuff too so yeah man i got pretty extensive background with a couple different things
1: wrestling's probably the only other thing uh, i know as much about as i know deer hunting so
2: (laughs) same Uh, archery and archery and wrestling is about all i got going on so you do do stuff long enough, you yeah, kind of, <laughs> yeah, you know, becomes second nature, and yeah, you pick up on just about anything and everything about it.
0: Sweet. So, um, yeah. Anything you kind of wanna? I mean, is there anything you wanna talk about? I mean, like specifically um, keynotes you wanna hit on or anything like that?
2: I mean, again, I can I I can talk about just about everything right. I've, I've learned a great deal in the last couple of years as I've dove into this target archery stuff and it's really, um, you know, carries over obviously into the bow hunting side of things, you know, arrow setups and, and tuning of, of everything, um, you know, to get that perfect arrow flight. And as we know, um, you know, when it's probably most important in the woods to have a, a perfect arrow flight than it ever is, you know, target archery or 3D archery. So uh, being able to learn all that stuff and really pick some of the best brains in the world, you know, Levi Morgan, Danny McCarthy, Chris Hacker, I mean, Gillingham. I've talked to all these guys at various times to just pick up little things. And I think that's one of the cool things about, you know, target and 3d archery It's you got so many different people and to, to pick right. up information didn't, from
0: Didn't you share, uh, didn't you shoot with some like Aaron Snyder and them guys on your last big tournament and all that?
2: Yeah. Yeah. When I was down at Colman, Alabama, um, so the week or two leading up to that, um, I think Aaron had done a couple podcasts and um, had talked with Levi and stuff, um, and said that he was going to come shoot the classic. Um, and so, I had been following Aaron Snyder for a long time. Obviously, he's such a you know big uh, you know name in the hunting and archery industry. Um, but it was cool to see him starting to pick up a compound bow again. You know, he's really big on the trad side for a long time. Um, so yeah, it was cool to see him starting to pick up, uh, um, a compound in a lot of his social media posts and such. So, um, him and I, I don't remember what it was. Um, maybe it was a Instagram story or something like that. Him and I got to chatting through DM and, um, I think I posted like a release photo. I had had a couple of my favorite releases that I was using and stuff and, he had told me to punch it and I said it's funny you say that because I've been punching and command shooting for the last year and I haven't shot you know I've shot better than I ever have and so we we just kind of started DMing and talking back and forth and um, that week leading up to Coleman uh, he asked me you know when I was arriving and stuff and um, we got to kind of talking in um, schedules and I said hey man like I'd love to practice with you guys you know it'd be cool to catch up and and uh, meet you in person and it's like yeah so let's let's get together so um, yeah I got in on um, Wednesday night, got to the practice range and stuff Thursday, and I think he arrived Thursday morning and stuff from his flight uh, from Wyoming because they know he's opening up the new uh, Kafaru location um, out there. So, so yeah, we got um, got there and got some practice arrows and stuff in. And then um, my buddy Levi Reitzma um, out of Middleville, uh, him and I traveled together, all the ASAs and stuff. Uh, we were going to go shoot the GPO, which is a uh, 10-target, it's a separate competition um, for score at these tournaments. Um, you can shoot it as many times as you want. Um, it's like 20 bucks an entry. Um, but you're only competing against the people in your class. There's a 40-yard course and a 50-yard course. So if you're a 45-yard class, you're shooting the 50-yard you know, course. So, um, but you can shoot with anybody. It's kind of like our IA's around here, right. you know, you can just team up with uh, four or five people or you just get dropped in and go shoot with uh, a group if that's the only time time slot you got. But they have like tea times and stuff because it gets so busy as well. Um, so yeah, um, uh, Levi and I were going to shoot the GPO and um, Aaron and Levi, Morgan and Justin Hannah um, were like right behind us. I said, hey, you know, if you guys are going, can we join you? I mean, you can have five people on this on this at a time. And they're like, yeah, sure, let's go for it. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, the first arrow I got to I got to shoot first on the first target. First arrow, I was I was really nervous. Like, <laughs> yeah, I've been yeah. I mean, shooting leave I've been looking up to Levi Morgan since I got into this. You know, I mean he's at the time was like ten time world champ, you know, shooter of the year, and then he kept ripping off a couple more after, you know, as I got into this and you know, big bow hunter and um shoot for Matthews and this big persona, right? And, you know, you kind of, once you start getting into this stuff, you, you kind of pick up on, it's like if you got into wrestling or football, basketball, you know, Michael Jordan, LeBron, like you mm-hmm. just kind of pick up on who the best people in the world are. And, of course, he was at the time, still is. But, yeah, so to go shoot with a guy that you've been looking up to for the last, you know, six, seven years um, and finally get to shoot with him, you know, it was really, really cool. But, yeah, I was super nervous.
0: <laughs> yeah, I bet. But that's the best place, man. That's that's better than probably any shoot-off you could be in right now, just shooting with them guys, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, this past shoot-off, this past weekend at, at Bullseye, um, I was pretty nervous, too. Um, I just – I think some of it is probably the pressure I put on myself. I just – I hate losing. Yeah. I, I got that for wrestling and athletics and stuff growing up. And, um, you know, I, I – I don't know if it's the best mental space to be in. I didn't shoot, like don't lose, but I I just was and I'm, I got some regrets from this past weekend. I, I was really, I was upset with myself. I, I just wasn't, I executed great shots. I just was aiming scared. I aimed just a little bit low, like just on purpose, aim safe and, and not, um, you know, and with the unknown game too. I was dialed in. I knew every one of those targets and the shootoff um, once we ranged one of them, I was within a half a yard of every single one. Wow, yeah. yeah. so like I knew the yardage and stuff. I just was a little just in case I was off and you know, I just aimed a little,
0: yeah. a little too conservative
2: and didn't pick up any twelves. And so
3: yeah,
0: it me. I know that like when you go for like the fourteen, sometimes you're like like subconsciously like trying to pull towards it, like, oh, if I miss, I want to go towards the you know the the eight or the ten. Well, you can't do that you know what i mean because when you you think about that you're subconsciously gonna pull auto you should just you know sometimes you just gotta go yeah. aim for that spot so but i think yeah, this is a- talk
2: to talked about that it's like you know we talk about i asked him do you, do you practice shooting 14s you know because he's in a shoot off quite a bit i mean you got to know where they're at on the target um you know know where how you hold on them things like that and he goes you just get a number and you aim right at it. Like it's the most perfect number you've ever got in your life. I mean, you just aim hard at it and you just, you go for it. Like you just, you can't second guess yourself. So, um, yeah. So again, it was a learning experience. Right.
0: Well, you, I watched you and you seem to do really good. So, and that was really <laughs> cool. I, I, I don't travel a lot for the, the, to see a shoot off and that was really cool. So um, I'm glad yeah. local places are starting to do that and it bring people, you know, to a more, to shoots and all that so yeah
2: well you've been you you did i think you did the video for the five spot shoot and stuff yeah uh, this past winter and i've held, hosted some smackdowns at um, oakland county and you know we shoot them at some indoor tournaments around the state and i think that's literally some of the best if you're in the competitive side of archery that's some of the best atmosphere that you can get it, it's a lot like you know shooting free throws with the game on the line national championship or world championship on the line like you can't simulate that feeling, um, of pressure and, and, you know, the atmosphere. Um, so these SmackDowns and stuff that we host, I mean, that's the closest I can get to a a shoot down with some of the best in the world. And we get some really good guys in Michigan. So to sit there and go toe to toe with them, even if it's at 20 yards, but you're trying to hit a penny or a dime, I mean, you can't miss. And so to have that kind of pressure and, and stuff and continually put yourself in those situations is, has made me grow so much and i know people around me that talk about it too that you know you got to put yourself in those situations if you're going to try to grow and and make yourself a, a something in the sport so um yeah continually trying to push yourself and put yourself in those situations is key
0: yeah and i had one buddy he shot a clean round in that that tournament at oakland and uh he lost by x count with a hunting comp and i was just like it's got to be so devastating to to shoot such a clean round and then you just get blown out by, by axes and all that. And I mean, it, yep. it's such a challenge and, but you gotta, yeah, you gotta put yourself in the uncomfortable situations to, to better yourself. So, yep. But, yeah, exactly. But I think we had some pretty good stuff. Uh, I think you, if you just want to just introduce yourself and we'll just kind of edit it in there and all this. I think everything we've been recording for like 10 to, or 10 minutes already, but I'll probably just like,
3: I
2: figure.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's already, already some great stuff. So, I mean, so. All
2: right. Yeah. Um, so, you want to like start off name and location? Yeah, and like for all sure. That
0: you, you just go your sure. way.
2: All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, my name is Rob Yarmark. Um, I currently live in White Lake, Michigan. Um, been doing archery. I've been hunting for 15 years now 20 20 years yeah since i was like 14 15 years old um that was back before they made those uh, age adjustments um i think now you can hunt when you're like 12 or as long as you got supervision yeah my kid's like that. my
1: kid's six and i'm trying to convince him to uh, shoot a crossbow legal like lethally enough that we can take him out so
2: yeah as long as yeah they that? didn't have that back when I was I mean, 12 years old was the age for <laughs> yeah. for a compound and I don't think you could hunt with a crossbow and then um my first year able to hunt was when I was 14 at rifle camp at deer camp so
0: so yeah I've been doing the hunting
2: thing for 20 some years now and then um picked up a bow when I was actually a senior in high school uh, so I picked up a bow actually really late compared to some of my friends um that have been bow hunting a long time and um did the whole bow hunting thing for, you know, for a while. And, um, then a good buddy of mine, um, I I worked in a shop here in Eastern Michigan, um, for about a year when I moved back from North Dakota. And then, um, so of course you're in a shop setting, people are talking about, you know, hunting of course, but then the target archery, you know, side of things got introduced to me and see people aiming at spots and shooting paper and all that in the, in the range. And, um, so yeah, you kind of got talking about like, asa and ibo and all the differences and stuff and um of course back then i'm sitting there i'm not judging yardage like (laughs) i got a range finder like why i could why would i want to judge yardage so i knew ibo right away wasn't the thing for me so you know a couple of the guys have told me about asa and stuff and then um i finally got uh introduced to it um invited to go shoot a a indoor asa at, at west michigan archery center in rockford um so yeah i went to that um and, of course, did absolutely terrible. I tried to hit the kill zone or where I would think I would kill every animal, and that's not where scoring rings and stuff are at most like most of the time. So it threw me for a loop, uh, you know, that first time. But I shot with uh, who became a good buddy of mine. His name's Chad Bennett. Uh, he was a pro at the time for Matthews um, in the known category. Um, and so, yeah, he kind of took me under his wing a little bit for a while, him and his, his now wife, Michelle. Um, so, yeah, they showed me kind of – target archery and 3d archery and stuff and what uh you know what all the equipment and stuff was and why they shot long bars and magnification in their scopes and i basically got hooked after shooting a couple minutes with them
0: you want to know a funny story he's the reason why i did uh my first 3d shoot too I met him all the way up in uh, Petoskey, Michigan on a job, and he he convinced me to go. Yep, he made me go to my first 3D shoot, did awful too, shot the wrong target on the line, (laughs) did terrible. But yeah, he's the same reason why I I started 3D too.
1: How did you shoot the wrong target? Well, because
0: at some targets, you go through the line twice, and one time you shoot target two, and then the next time you shoot like target like like 11 because there's only 15 spots and it's yeah. 30 targets well i shot two like twice or whatever so that was <laughs> okay that was, it gets confusing
2: and indoor a, can get confusing dude, and special. the line like yeah, that's yeah. the first
0: time i ever shot a tournament and it was on a line that was like the scariest thing you're like trying to bump people and all that and yeah. stuff so yeah i've
1: only shot indoor once yeah, yeah. so i was yeah. a little concerned i thought you were outdoors shooting like targets like you just turned the wrong way and blasted away <laughs> yeah. no
0: no yeah. no but sorry to interrupt. Yeah, it
2: gets confusing. No, no, it's yeah. good, man. I love Chad to death. I, yeah. I actually miss miss shooting with him. He's I know he's taking some time away from the sport and um, you know spend some time traveling with his wife. And I think he does dirt bikes and mountain biking now. And um, so yeah, but he was a big influence on me. I mean, he's such a great guy. But yeah, he really got me started on the right track and um, taught me a ton, man. And he was he was my go to text. You know, hey, what do I do about this tuning? And I started to try to understand. Uh, you know, how to get things better and and make myself better. And, man, he was always my first call or first text, and he answered every single question. I mean, he was – yeah, he's a big influence on getting me started. So – and then, yeah, after I started kind of picking up the ASA stuff, um, you know, really enjoyed the indoor thing. And then um, I think that following year I decided to do, um, you know, the outdoor season and um, kind of got hooked. Um, So, yeah, I spent – Spent a lot of time at long range archery in Holland when I was living over in West Michigan. I'm originally from Grand Rapids area, just north of Grand Rapids um, up in Sparta Rockford area. But um, when I was working out uh, out in the Lakeshore area, I spent a lot of time at long range and um, a lot of the guys in arrow shooting 3D and knew of target archery. And so I picked up a ton from, from Dylan and Dustin, Brandon. And um, yeah, so I kind of got really, really into it once I started shooting for, for long range and, um, Know, competing almost every weekend with ASA and IAA, and and going from there. So, so yeah, it's it's kind of catapulted me all to, to where I'm at now. And not that I'm at the highest of highs, and you know, beating Danny and Levi at the world level. But um, you know, I'm ready for the challenge next year. I'm going to turn turning professional, and um, so I'm I'm really looking forward to stepping on the on a stake with those guys or getting the opportunity to shoot against them.
0: That's amazing. So what was, so this year you ran, was it semi-pro? Is that what it's classified as? Yeah. And then yep. ne- next year you're yeah. making the leap.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Semi-pro is, is, um, the, basically that we shot the same courses that the pros did, um, is the same 50 yard stake, um, unknown, you know, it's, um, same speed requirements, literally everything as far as the, the tournament goes is the same as the pros, um, it's just the entry fees less, you know, not as much of a, um, you know, financial commitment. Um, the one thing that did frustrate me this year that I didn't run into last year um, is that they would change courses around in between when the pros would shoot them and when I would shoot them. Uh, mm-hmm. They would go out and change some of the targets around, and um, that got really frustrating because I wanted to gauge how my weekend would have went if I would have shot professionally. Where where would I have finished, you know, if I would have shot in the pro class, and so it's not the same, right. you know, even if they changed two two targets, right? Those two targets could have completely changed uh, how I would have finished or how I would have scored or anything like that. So, um, you know, it's it, it threw a little bit of that in there that I was like, well, I would have finished here in the pro class, but it's not actually the same. So right. um, yeah, that got a little frustrating, but um, but yeah, it was for the most part, same experience. Um, I'm just now gonna go toe to toe with the best there is and pay a bunch of money to do it
0: yeah yeah and it's a yeah some of them uh tournaments are not local to us they're pretty far commute and all that so
2: yeah yeah i've i've made the commitment and my wife's been uh, amazing in her support um i know it gets frustrating to her um because the worst thing in the world is is that um if the rest of your family is not in the sport they don't put us in locations um that are real family oriented you know we're out in the middle of nowhere in small towns where there's not a lot to do, you know, there's hotels and food. That's really about it. Right. Um, Foley, Alabama, our first term of the year is probably the best family site that we have because it's on the ocean uh, right there on Gulf Shores and, um, you know, ton of stuff to do. So it's, it's a good, like, spring break trip and, and kind of kick off the year type of thing. But that's literally the only place that I would be like, yeah, honey, come with me. Right. This is a good time. The rest of it you're just hanging out in the hotel yeah. unless you get like an airbnb or something right. out on a lake
0: or whatever yeah hey honey i'm gonna hang out hang out in the hotel for about three or four days while i go shoot and, <laughs> and you yeah, gotta you exactly. got a, a young child too right
2: yeah. yes yep i have a one-year-old daughter a little older than one-year-old so yeah. so yeah um that's thrown a, a loop into things but again i've i've pleaded with my wife and i i gave up fishing i mean my boat is up at my parents um you know, i i used to hunt fish golf archery i mean i i don't sit still um so um so yeah i i really i i left my boat up at my parents place up north so i think i went fishing three times that's the the least i've ever gone fishing in my entire life um and then i think i've golfed you know maybe four or five times um so like I've given up some of these other hobbies to really make the commitment to to practice or just to be at home more. So when I do go away for you know three four days in a national tournament that I haven't been gone every weekend leading up to that you right. know so yeah and I try to only shoot you know a local tournament if it's close to home where I could you know make a 45 minute drive go shoot for a couple hours and come right back home you know half a day type stuff. So but again sometimes I'll tell her I'm home at three o'clock and I'm usually not home till five. You know, she's pretty, she's pretty lenient when it comes to some of that stuff. So, um, again, I couldn't do any of this without her support, especially with our daughter now. And so, um, yeah, so she's, she's been very understanding and I try to do my best to, to be around more and make some sacrifices, even though I'd love to be fishing or love to be golfing. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, they basically make a lot of stuff possible for us i think that's like the most undervalued tool or not tool sorry i don't mean to call my yeah, wife but tool <laughs> <laughs> but i'm just saying like th- things are gonna go south
1: quick
3: yeah, the, yeah.
0: <laughs> good thing she's working upstairs but yeah <laughs> but yeah they definitely help out so much and it, it's it's a, a bit of a sacrifice you know like sometimes you're like oh well i want to do this and this and but you got to pick and choose so but
2: yeah they're like the, um, you know, we put sponsors and stuff on our backs of our jerseys and, and all of this, or, you know, talk about, you know, tag people in our social media posts and, you know, all the people that do support us, but it's the people at home. You know, I couldn't literally, if, even if I had my daughter, right, you could, couldn't do this stuff without my wife, you know, or family, you know, even, you know, my in-laws and stuff, let me have targets in the backyard. Uh, they're, the, they're 10 minutes away from me. And I, I live in a condo association right now and they've got a, probably a two acre uh, backyard so I can leave four or five targets out there and go pop over and, and shoot anytime I want. Like no questions asked. They leave, I leave targets out. So it's like, they have friends over and they're like, I have very fun targets out in your backyard. And you know, they got to explain that <laughs> yeah, my son-in-law is an archer and you know, comes over and practices and right. stuff. So, so yeah, without those people that, you know, they don't get a whole lot of rec- recognition sometimes, so, but they literally, without them, you, you can't do this stuff.
0: For sure.
1: Yeah. I thought you were gonna say something. No, not yet. I mean I have a my the only difference is my wife just allows me to go on ridiculous hunts all the time. So like from October till January and then I just got a dog. So my wife is just like I'm just gone for like six months out of the year and she's just completely fine with it.
2: She, yeah. So. yeah, that's good. I mean, hey, if you got that relationship and that balance and stuff, uh, I mean, even yeah. though hunting season's coming up, right? Like September for me is probably like the only time that I have off. I mean, I'm gonna, but I, I haven't scouted any deer, I, I, any any scouting this year at all. I mean, I hunt mostly public land here in Michigan. Um I went to Missouri last year and shot a giant. I mean, like so. I, I've just been running and gunning when it comes to hunting. So it's like even this next month, I might go scout for a day on some public, like some areas that I kind of already know anyway that I've scouted in the years past. But even that I'm like trying to stay home the next couple weekends and, and knowing that October 1st is on the horizon and I'm going to pick and choose some nights and a weekend or two to, you know, get out and go chase deer. So yeah, it just doesn't stop. You go from target archery right to hunting right back to target archery starting again in like December, January. So. it's it's a never-ending season so
0: do you want to break down that missouri hunt real quick like how what was the process of that i mean was it all diy and all that
2: yeah yeah so obviously missouri is like you know a top 10 state in the country for for big deer every year and um actually a good buddy of mine chris coon that i've worked and hunted with for four or five years now um he has a lease in missouri he's gone down there and killed some really big deer um on his lease and He's, he's probably two years, yeah, two years ago, he said, hey, listen, I'm gonna hunt my lease, but there's public, you know, 20 minutes away. So just come down and stay with me at the Airbnb and, you know, I'll hunt my lease. You just go hunt public and, and maybe I'll come hunt public with you too. But this was for muzzleloader late season, like last week of December in between Christmas and New Year's, we planned this trip. And, you know, Missouri tags are fairly cheap. I think my muzzleloader tag for was of state was 150 bucks you know, Airbnb was a uh, hundred dollars for the weekend, you know, food, gas. I mean, it was less than for $500 for four days of hunting. So, uh, but yeah, sure enough, I went down there that time we had perfect conditions except for an ice storm that rolled through like a day before we got there. So the foot of snow that was on the ground t- basically turned to a sheet of ice on top. So you couldn't sneak in anywhere without just blowing out an area completely. So, um, but I did end up getting a shot at like a 150 um, with my muzzle loader out in a bean field. We had a ton of food around us still, so it was, it was awesome. It was a cool first trip to go and kind of see, like, yeah, this is Missouri. I saw a couple of big deer, and I, my jaw dropped when I saw this deer from across this field. I mean, it, it just a true, like, giant, and I'm sitting there, biggest deer I've ever seen. I mean, this one right here, um, I killed in Michigan. That's a 150, but this one just – was just so much bigger. I mean, it was 150, 160. It was, it was big deer, but I think I ended up taking a shot at him with my muzzleloader at 150, 150 yards and missed. And I was like, crap. So, um, never ended up seeing him. Another guy in our camp shot a, shot a decent deer, decent 10 point, uh, like the next day. But, so it was just cool to get that experience. So I'm kind of rambling, but, um, I knew right away, like I wanted to grab my two cousins that I hunt with and shoot with a ton. Um, and just go on a a public land trip we'll we'll figure it out. So as soon as I got back from that, I kind of started doing some planning, um, got on on X, found a, a, I wanted to find a town that we could stay in, but that had a lot of different pieces of public in case we went to a place that was a bus or there was a ton of people. And so uh, I found, found a good situation to where we could stay in a hotel and there was probably eight pieces of public within 45 minutes. Um, So that's what we did. I grabbed my two cousins and we went, um, first week of November last year, which now I'm finding is an absolute mistake. <laughs>
0: um,
2: so yeah, we showed it's up on this piece really of Really busy? It.
0: Is it just, oh,
2: crazy busy. Yeah. Bad. I mean, we, we went in, I did a bunch of e-scouting and stuff, um, with, with some topographical maps and, and kind of just figured, Hey, we'll just run and gun it. We'll, we'll find deer. We'll figure it out. And, um, plus it's the rut, you know, we figure, Hey, deer are going to be moving, one of us is going to stumble along something. So we got to this first piece of public, which is the largest piece um, that, that was on the, the map in the area and got in there an hour, hour and a half early, got set up. It was, I, I saw a bunch of deer already and right with my headlamp and kicked up a bunch up and I'm like, all right, this is where we're going to stop and, and set up and got all settled in, took my time 30 minutes before daylight, man. It was like a, a, a highway of headlamps <laughs> just coming at us. We could see, I, saw, I think we probably saw a dozen headlamps, Jeez. like 30, 40 minutes or before daylight. A guy set up in a climber 75 yards North of me. And I, I hit him with my headlamp a couple times and he kicked up a bunch of deer that were still around me. Like, so I got in quick and quiet to where if he wouldn't have shown up, I would have seen more deer than I did that morning. But he got in, I hit him with my headlamp a couple times. And of course you can't tell depth really well at that, at that time. And, so he just set up and so i'm sitting there it's getting daylight looking around and i finally decided to start moving a little bit i took my binoculars and i looked back over this guy's in this climber you know 75 80 yards from me uh, and i could see him you know playing his day I'm like, crap so i ended up seeing deer down at the bottom of this ridge and i don't know if he ever did i don't think he did um, but i knew right away like okay we got to figure out a different plan so um yeah two cousins and stuff we ended up going about another 45 minutes um east to another piece and um again never scouted it went in completely dark you know at two hours before dark or before daylight all east scouted got to a river that on the map there was a bridge to get across when we got there it was all under construction no way probably get across. <laughs> so it completely threw a kink in our to our you know, plans on where we were going, it really cut the piece of property almost, in a, into a third. And so, um, so yeah, we, uh, kind of threw a big kink into things, just set up some stands quick, ended up seeing a couple of deer, but then um, we didn't know how deep this river was come to find out. It was like six inches deep. It was oh. just like a really wide Creek. Oh. <laughs> so once, once we figured that out, we actually used that because the wind the entire time used that cross the Creek got to the rest of the property. Um, Last day, I, I hadn't seen any bucks. Um, we had seen um, a couple of does. I had saw a couple of those. My two other cousins sat on food. There was a lot of standing corn and, and uh, beans in this area, even for November. Um, and so those guys had seen some bucks, but just didn't get a shot at anything. And um, I made a play um, to go sit closer to my cousin who had been seeing deer. Um, so I I went in deeper into a, into a swamp on the edge of a bean field. Um, and this bean field kind of was on a plateau and then it dropped off like 15 feet, um, down into the swamp. So I actually sat down into the swamp, texting my wife, oh, it's, it's 65 degrees at this point at, on the last day at like three o'clock in the afternoon, I'm texting my wife. She goes, you know, it sucks. You're going to come home with nothing. Da, 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 da. It wasn't 30 minutes later. And I saw this body moving through this swamp and I, I just kind of peek out around this tree that was in front of me. And all I saw was antlers. No. And I said, holy crap. It was like a no brainer type thing. Just grab your bow, get ready. And um, I was 10 foot off the ground in my custom gear stand. Um, I was only two sticks high and he started at 30 yards and I drew before he even got to there. I knew I I had ranged some areas. I'm like, okay, I should be fine with where my pin's set now. And I drew and they walked right at me. So I'm holding holding a, a draw for probably a minute, minute and a half. And I'm shooting a TRX 34. I think at uh, with uh, 80 80% let off at 73 pounds or something like that. So you know, it was it, was, it got to a point where it started to get uncomfortable. And I'm shooting my hinge. I always hunt with a hinge as well. And so um, he started coming at me, coming at me. And then he kind of just veered off just a little bit. And I shot him at 10 yards. I was almost like eyes to eye with him. I mean, he never even knew I was mm-hmm. there. So yeah, I smashed him, and he ran 20 yards and piled up. So it was unbelievable 30 seconds to have it all come unfold like that, especially when I was just really kind of mentally given up, um, on the trip, you know, it was 65 degrees. It was November 3rd. It was three o'clock in the afternoon. I was sweating to death, like just not normal rut weather, um, and rut activity that we had you know, thought we would be seeing So yeah, it, um, it happened very fast. Like that always does.
1: What did score?
2: Um, I got to get it back from my taxidermist, but um, Spencer, my cousin and I measured it um, at 163 and, and two eights, I think. So monster. yeah, yeah, I can send you guys a photo. So it's on my social media yeah. and it's 14 points um, split G twos. I mean, it was just a great basket rack, but like a uh, tight, tall. Um, yeah. Again, I, I was losing it in the tree stand yeah. and I had no self-service really. Like I'm trying to get a hold of like my cousins and my wife and my, my, my dad, like, you know, but I'm in and out of service and stuff. I literally in holding my phone, like trying to just get a bar or two to get service and like, what just happened? Like I'm, I'm just, I'm losing my mind in my tree stand. <laughs> so, but also trying not to blow a hunt for my cousin who's 150, 200 yards yep. away. I mean, we did a, a, a grunt test, like how close are you? And I hit the grunt a couple of times and he could hear me. Wow. So, um, yeah.
0: So, so what was the reasoning to, for yeah. you being like 10 foot up? Was it cause not, you didn't want to get skylined or was it cause of that ridge right there that was up there?
2: Um, so some of it was, so I sat in a three trunk tree, um, you know, kind of almost like this and I actually sat in the middle one. Um, and there was really, it got kind of skinny and, and there really wasn't much up above so yeah, I probably could have got skylined, but um, I had been really kind of experimenting with that lower level hunting, that ten to twelve foot range, you know, carry less sticks, get up a little quicker. Um, and this is honestly before I even started listening to Cody DeQuisto talk about him, you know, hunting that seven to eight foot, you know, ten foot range, really, really low. Um, but so yeah, I'd started trying to get comfortable doing that or kind of feeling it out and it never really gotten busted or anything. So um, so, yeah, I just – I don't know. I, I probably was just hot and sweaty and just said, screw it. <laughs> and, you know, I set my stand and it was like, all right, we're good. Plus, I think just, again, the contour of the tree, I, I knew I could blend in fairly well um, at that point. But I left my all my heavy weight – it was 31 degrees, 30 degrees that morning. So I had my main good heavier weight type stuff on for that morning sit. And I wasn't even planning on sitting all day. We started seeing deer at 10 a.m. And so my cousins and I were texting like, uh, okay, I guess we're going to sit all day at half a Gatorade and a granola bar left for the rest of the day. So like wrestling mindset kind of came back in. I was, <laughs> yeah. I was like, Hey, ration this out and like survive the rest of the day. So, um, uh, so yeah, but again, at the 65 degrees that afternoon, like, I really think that deer, I was sitting on the, at the edge of a, um, Creek, like reservoir that had some standing water. I really do think that deer was coming to get a drink, um, at that time of the day. So, um, again that was just dumb luck i can't say i scouted it and i <laughs> found a great sign i just i, I knew where there's food i knew where it was thick a little bit of water and some area that i could see pretty well and maybe i was going to catch a deer going out to feed you know before coming out of the swamp before you know dark you know, and that's really all i was trying to take some knowledge with me and, and and go after it like that
0: yeah i mean the true testament of that is like you had a plan and it went to crap quick and you just kept going from the fly. Cause a lot of people, you know, when they have a plan, it doesn't go together. They just start pity partying theirself. And then they just keep, you know, getting in their head and, you know, it happens to all of us, but like, they just basically count theirself out before it actually is over. And it sounds like you guys adjusted yep. on the fly pretty good. i I mean, how did everybody else's trip turn out?
2: Um, <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned that. So my one cousin, Nolan, um, love him to death and stuff but he hadn't hunted a whole lot of public land and so and i had known you know hunt public land if you've done it enough even the first couple of times right you're going to run into people yeah i don't care if you scouted. It, it there's just nothing you can do and so um that really kind of gives you a different mindset of hey i gotta be flexible yeah i gotta be able to run and gun i gotta be able to to not let my spirits get down if things happen again it could piss us all off yeah you know you get set up in a stand you get in there early you do everything right and then Joe Schmo shows up and, and, you know, sits 60 yards from you or, you know, walks right past you down a trail or something. So, um, so yeah, he, a couple of times he was not, uh, he got flustered pretty quick yeah. and it's just like, okay, man, hey, like we gotta, we gotta just relax. Let's, we'll wait till daylight, we'll hunt it for a little bit and then we'll make a new plan. Like we'll figure it out. And so, um, so yeah, it it's, my experience of hunting some Michigan public land where you run into yeah. 100 people a year, um, you know, helps kind of keep keep us at bay. But those guys saw deer. Um, Nolan got the shaft on again public land pressure. You know, he had a really good nine point um, that he was going to shoot coming his way, and then a guy was running his his hunting dog um, at like 5:30. You Know and so that that deer got busted from a couple hundred yards away. Um, you know, that dog or that deer could hear dog, and Nolan could see it up in his tree stand. And, um, but yeah, he was on a path right to him, he said, and hmm. just got bad, bad luck. Um, so, so yeah, they both ate tags. Um, <laughs> I, I couldn't have done the trip without him. I mean, I got a bad right hip that I got to have replaced, and this deer was a mile and a half, two miles back from the uh, from the easiest access point. So I brought a deer cart with us, thank God, but those two drugged that thing out for me. I mean, that was a big deer, too, so I I could have never done this, you know, trip DIY independently by any means.
1: Deer carts Um, are lifesavers.
2: Oh, man, the hawk crawler, like independent um, axles and stuff. I mean, we were walking through this bean field. I mean, again, it's – you couldn't have – a sled dragging that thing out. I mean, we would have died. It, it was such a long, long trek. Yeah. I just so, got a
1: deer cart, and I'm looking forward to using it. I'm so sick of dragging deer out. It's yeah. it's not fun.
2: And it's if you're in great shape and all that stuff, cool. Like I used to be that guy. I used to help my dad and uncles drag all their deer out when I was in the best shape of my life. Like, oh, this is nothing. No big deal. Strap it to my back and, and take off. But not anymore, man. I mean, no. I, I'm, I would physically hurt myself, pull something. I mean, you are... I hate to admit, I am getting older and stuff. I still have the the mentality and the heart of a 20-year-old like yeah I can do it but I'm realizing hey with my hip and you know back and some stuff I I gotta I got go home to a family I got a job like I can't be out just doing some crazy crap that my body's just not used to anymore.
0: Right
1: so, um, so I guess we'll focus yeah. back a little bit more onto the archery stuff so yeah. I guess we'll talk a little bit so one big topic that we talk about uh we haven't talked about a bunch, but I hear about often is arrow setups and uh heavy versus light. So in your opinion, I mean
0: You're gonna get a bunch of people mad at that. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, I know because, so
1: yeah. we'll go I know you have a lot of experience target shooting, but is there a difference target shooting to deer hunting in your preference in heavy versus light?
2: Um, it really just depends on the type of target shooting um a heavy arrow is more forgiving typically um especially if you put more point weight up on it um so when i'm shooting indoor 20 yard you know spots um most people are using a really heavy arrow not obnoxiously heavy but like i'm shooting i think my gold tip triple x's are like 560 grains with like 200 grains up front you know but you're you're literally lobbing those things in there. I mean, your speed is not an issue. you want accuracy hundred percent accuracy and forgiveness when it comes to like a target setup. Um, when I go out for three d, you know I'm more or less trying to I gotta especially with the unknown stuff, I have to um, keep speed in mind. Um, you know we are shooting outside, so I gotta think about you know wind drift a little bit and and um, so I'm not putting like FOC into any of these calculations, right? but I am trying to figure out what's the most forgiving setup. How much point weight can i run and still get this arrow to be really accurate um you know i don't want to have a really light uh point weight because of plants outs and stuff too that can play an effect in 3d um so you are really trying to find that perfect recipe for like 3d arrows but when it comes to hunting um I'm a, i am ai don't want to say a light but i'm a lighter guy the the heavy arrow stuff um it, it's a fad it's i think it's you know, some guys, again, might might not believe that or might not feel that way. I think, um, you know, the guy Ranch Terry gets talked about. I don't know the guy at all. I haven't, I've never really even watched one of his videos, but I like the taunting public. You know, those guys have, have associated with him and talked about some heavier arrow setups and single bevel broadheads and all of this stuff. And um, it's, I think for whitetail, antelope, mule deer, um, you know, those type of what I would call like a fast twitch animal, you can't have a slow arrow. Um, you have 20 yards, sure. You know, when that arrow's probably going to get there, get it, get there quick. But, you know, that 30-yard range, 40-yard range and stuff, if you got a slow arrow, that's a lot of time for that deer to move. And we've all seen videos of deer ducking and moving. And so, um, you know, my current setup is um, I'm shooting 70, a uh, Venom 30 at 72 pounds. Um, I actually just got done tuning and doing a lot of this stuff, playing with some arrow setups. This is probably the most intensive year I've done with some arrow setups as far as testing goes. Um, but I'm actually shooting an Airstrike 300 spine um, with 180 grains up front. But this is an arrow that's built for FOC. And again, I'm not shooting it because of the FOC, but it just happens to be a, a nice uh, feature, per se, because you've got the insert um, and it's got a ballistic collar. So before you even put a broadhead on it at, at 100 grains, you've already got... 40 grains up front uh, versus just your normal 17 to 20 grain aluminum insert. So you've got that ballistic collar up there, which adds some. So even if I hadn't added any extra weight to it, I'd still be at 140 grains uh, up front, which is pretty good, I would say, um, FOC wise. Um, Again, it's not something I even calculate or care about. It just happens to be a perk. Um, But then I actually added um, 40 grains of fact weight to the back of that insert. So I'm running uh, a fairly heavy FOC arrow, 180 grains up front, but the arrow itself only weighs 430 grains. Mm-hmm. Like I, I have a fairly short arrow because I don't have a very long draw length. I have a 27 and a half inch draw length. I think my arrow carbon to carbon is 25 and a half inches. So you slap a knock on there, um, you know, on a broadhead, you're back up to like a 27 inch full length arrow, 27 and a half inch full length arrow. And yeah, I think. Um, I'm more of a speed. I I like to have learned this talking to, to, you know, some guys and listening uh, to some of the best. You know, again, I I like to go back to Levi Morgan, um, not to be a fanboy, but again, the guy's done it at the competitive level, but he's got one of the best hunting shows out there that's ever been produced. I mean, he's killing giant deer all the time. He's taking his target archery knowledge and and, uh, tuning and arrow builds, all that stuff, and applying it to, you know, whitetail hunting. And so, if you've got a guy that's killing deer, you know, and and rarely do you ever see him make a bad shot or have to not recover a deer because it ducked, you know, or hit him in the spine or guts or, you know, he's, as far as we know, right? Right. (laughs) Again, he's probably not producing. But again, I'd say he's probably one of those guys that would produce a real world type TV show like, hey, I made a bad shot or, hey, this deer ducked it.
3: Right. Just don't
2: see it. And I think a lot of that is too because he has. Good enough speed in his arrow he's got well placed shots and he's accurate um and he you know he makes good ethical shots as well so um, so yeah i've i've been staying um, right in that 280 to 290 feet per second range so i'll take my bow and then build an arrow off of that to try to get into that range and i some of it too is just my own little cork i like shooting long distance so if i i feel at that speed i can get a tape that will give me enough clearance on my scope uh, with my rest and everything to shoot out to hundred yards. So I can really see if that arrow is flying great, accurate out to that distance. Not that I'd ever take an animal that far, but, um, if you can stay in that speed range, you can usually get a tape. That's that allows you to shoot those longer distances too. So, so yeah, but again, I'm rambling, sorry, but um, no, no, I'm not. more middle to lighter weight. Again, I really think if you listen to guys like Aaron Snyder, Levi, Tim Gillingham, um kyle douglas um these are all guys that have been on aaron's podcast kafaru podcast i mean they all say the same thing accuracy is king yeah you gotta be able to shoot a, an accurate arrow and a slow arrow can be accurate but there's too many other variables too that deer can be moving all of this stuff i mean so i'd rather get that arrow pretty quick get there pretty quick before that deer has time to react
0: Right. And I think he always, Aaron always says too, like, why don't you stop worrying about how heavy your arrow is and that you just go shoot your bow and make sure you're hitting the spot you're hitting. And so.
2: Exactly. I think I just shared a meme on, on Facebook the other day that said the hardest pill to swallow or like hard pill to swallow or something is worrying that, or stop worrying about FOC and worrying about, you know, accuracy and, right. and where you're hitting the deer. I mean, I think that's just so true, especially in these last couple of years. You know, I think Joel Maxwell, uh, yeah, Maxwell, um, he's put out a ton of studies that, again, Aaron Snyder and Levi, all these top guys have referenced. I mean, he's done the science to debunk the heavy arrow penetration tests and all of this stuff um, to really back that up that, hey, a good, accurate, medium weight, you know, decent speed arrow is doing just as much to that animal as a super heavy slow arrow so Um, you've got some science now backing it up uh, which is really cool um so yeah which i've always kind of those reports get pretty in depth (laughs) so i'll just go with what works for me and that's where i've been with a lot of it so
0: yeah and i always like people like well what if you hit that front shoulder or knuckle and like why are you preparing for the worst like i'm not gonna put a roll cage in my truck just in case i I might (laughs) crash it one day i mean i'm just i mean i'm worried about just. Getting to point in and point B, you know. So don't prepare for the worst. I mean so I think exactly. that's exactly and
2: I mean I can understand that. Like, yeah, just in case I get the shoulder. I can understand that. But even if you just put uh again, my arrow that I'm shooting now that's gonna be a two eighty um with a schwacker on it, that'll blow right through a shoulder. I can almost guarantee it. Like I'm not gonna go take a frontal through the brisket, but if I happen to clip that shoulder, I'm not worried about it. I know for a fact that my arrow last year on that Missouri buck, he was quartered to me and I drew it right through the shoulder, right through the heart um, at 10 yards. And I heard a big loud crack. I mean, I know it went through that shoulder because when I gutted it, I could find I found a bunch of pigment and bone. But, um, and that arrow didn't pass all the way through. It got about three quarters of the way in and then popped right back out. Um, and again, it went 20 yards. It got through that shoulder, got in the uh, vitals and and came right back out but it did its job. And so, um, you know, again, if you're accurate with your shot, that's all that really matters at the end of the day.
0: So are you using swackers? Is that what you just said? Or?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I was on their field staff and stuff last year. I think I don't, I didn't really apply again this year. Just I don't post enough, uh, hunting content. I mean, I'm doing target or tree nine months out of the year, so I don't post enough broadhead and hunting content. Um, You know, but again, I I, I was using their stuff before I got on their staff, and um, I'm still using them now. I use the uh, uh, Levi Morgan uh, 261s. I think it's a two-inch cut, 100-grain broadhead. Um, You know, I really love them because, again, his selling point or their selling point is you can lock down the blades and practice with that exact broadhead and then change the, the locking pin and go out to the field and hunt with that exact one. So you know exactly where that arrow should be hitting with that broadhead on it. So. Yeah.
0: Um, my favorite what gets them in there they're good yeah my favorite thing is that you can get them at walmart so just say worst case scenario or something like i don't know like you forgot them at home and then you have there's a Walmart usually everywhere is where you go. You can just get them right yeah. there. Cause if you have like anything special, like an iron will or something or something crazy, you wouldn't get to get them in time. It's especially. During- yeah.
2: That's a thousand percent. Yeah. I, I never really thought of that. Like, I guess, yeah. If you happen to miss a couple of times a weekend, bury them yeah. in the dirt and bend them up. I mean, yeah, you can make a trip or hell you just forget them. You know, I keep mine in a case. I mean, I, once it's hunting season, I'm going to be locked on an arrow and a quiver, but I always keep extras in a case. Well, I happen to forget that. Yeah, you're exactly right. You can go to a Walmart uh and pick those up. No problem. So right. that is a good point. So um so yeah, but they fly really really well. Um again, I was going to go out and shoot tonight and and uh, have a couple of on uh, you know, make sure they were hitting with my field points. I mean, I have all the confidence in the world they will. So um but yeah, I was going to send them at long distance and see where they actually landed.
1: Yeah, I'm jumping on a couple of fads this year. So I did switch to a heavier arrow. It's I would say it's more middle class. I think I'm around 440 total, and then I only have like 50. I added 50 grains up front, not including the tip. But then I'm also going to go with the single bevel head. I don't have a good excuse for it. It's just uh, I've been a big mechanical guy for a long time because I never, and we'll talk about it. <clears throat> but you know, they sell mechanicals as out of the box, they'll fly like a field tip, right? So I never really spent a ton of time tuning the bow. Like I was just like, well, I can just throw these mechanicals on. And thankfully I've always lucked into the fact that I haven't had them off. Um, And when I was younger, I had a fixed blade that I threw on there and didn't practice with, and it flew way different at deer. And I couldn't figure out why, you know? Uh, but now looking back, I, I know why, like I needed to tune my bow, but so now I want to, uh, I want to switch this single bevel and then a the little bit heavier arrow. Um, partly I would say is because of that, like if I mess up kind of thing, right? Cause I've had it happen with mechanicals where I have messed up and went too far forward with a lighter arrow and a mechanical head and well, I ended up having to tell a story about a deer that walked away, right? So I don't know if it'll make a difference, but this year that's kind of how I went on where I was going to go as far as arrow setup. So that's kind of why I asked, you know, what your arrow setup is. Because before I met Joe, my buddies had the same knowledge I did. You know, like we didn't really know. We just learned from Facebook and Facebook gives you some good knowledge and some bad <laughs> knowledge. So <laughs> it really depends on your,
3: yeah. It really I, depends on who you're following and who you're listening to.
2: Yeah.
0: I should introduce them to Archery Tark forms and all that for them. You can go yeah, on there. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so you just join any Facebook group. I mean, it even gets in the mobile hunting stuff. I mean, yeah, everybody's got an opinion.
1: Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I think it's a great resource, but you got to pick through. Mm-hmm. You You might learn a couple bad lessons on the way. So no, I appreciate yeah. you sharing the uh, <clears throat> at least your opinion on heavier versus lighter um, arrows. I know we have brought other people on here that swear by the heavier arrow. I don't know a ton of people that are swearing by super light arrows, but at least not shooting
2: at animals. But um, it, it all I think it really just depends on the on the situation. Again, you got to build an arrow to the bow, you got to build an arrow to the person, and build an arrow to the to the game that you're you're hunting, right? I mean, you got an elk, right? They're really not that, as far as I know, they're not that fast. They're not like an antelope or a deer that's just going to duck, duck your arrow super crazy, you know, quick. Right. But they are agile. And so again, you might be able to get away with a, a, a heavier arrow because um, you want to pass through and, and really get through there. But again, I've heard plenty of people talk like yeah, i have shot an elk with a 400 grain arrow at 300 feet per second, like put a good shot on it. And you're not going to have an issue. So it it really just depends. Um, and again, listening to people like Tim Gillingham and Aaron Snyder guys that have tested and tested and tested. That's the biggest thing I'll ever tell anybody, shoot your bow, test this stuff, make sure you're accurate. And that's the only thing I'll tell you is like, if you're shooting that fixed blade, you know, broadhead, make sure you're, you got a bear shaft that is a bullet hole. And you know, that's a good place to start. Make sure that thing is accurate out to 50, 60 yards and hitting with your field points. Um, you know, so you're as accurate as possible, even if your furthest shot might be 30, you know, just make sure that stuff is just so dead on. So yeah, when you get out there in the heat of the moment, you're not doing what you used to do with a fixed blade and what I used to do the same thing, man. My, my, my first bow was a darting and then the local shop tuned it and stuff. I threw some hundred grain thunderheads on there because that's what my dad had in the, in the case. And I'm watching this arrow, I'll just dart every single one. <laughs> yeah. Over here. I'm sitting there, I'm like, well, might as well move my site over and move it down a little bit, you know? And so I cited in for my broadheads, uh, you know, which I think most people have done in the past or don't know enough about I just threw
1: my, Uh, my fixed away and went and got mechanical. (laughs) That's how I fixed
3: my (laughs) problem. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, mean, I don't even think,
2: yeah, it's, uh, yeah, there's a whole new like learning curve now tuning and YouTube's great. So you can learn this stuff at home and, and all that stuff. So. Yeah, the big thing, man, if you're going to shoot those fixed blades, make sure that everything's tuned right tuned perfectly.
1: Yeah, well, I learned that. So last year was the first year I really tried the single bevels, and uh, we went down to Kansas, and I started shooting my bow, and I was like, man, like these broadheads were like dead on, but now they're way off. Well, then it turns out that on the trip, something got loose. I tightened it up, and immediately – I learned another valuable lesson. If you're gonna shoot practice tips and broadheads, aim at different dots because I peeled off like two of my fletchings like immediately. And I was yep. like, okay, well, at least they're shooting together, but yeah, I'm down down two arrows now. Yeah. <laughs> Cause uh, yeah, a broadhead'll slice Yeah, a broadhead'll slice the fletching pretty quick. So
2: Yep yeah i i enjoy fletching arrows sometimes but not for my own stupid stupidity or (laughs) aiming at the same dot and i guess if i'm doing it at distance right and it's like okay that's a good thing the arrows are you know grouping that closely at 70 80 100 yards whatever but if i'm doing stupid crap at 40 and 50 you know trying to hit you know even my target arrows and i'm smashing them and blowing up knocks and stuff i'm like come on
1: (laughs) they're grouping leave it alone yeah yeah you're fine so, yeah, I mean, when it comes so, to tuning, I guess we'll kind of move into that. Like, what do you think is the most important part of tuning your hunting bow? Um I don't know a ton about archery, so I guess I don't know how, like, the benefits there. But, I mean, as far as tuning your hunting bow, like, what are you looking to do? I mean, some of the tactics and strategies behind why you're doing some of the things you're doing.
2: Yeah, I mean... At the end of the day, a well-tuned bow is going to send an arrow, you know, straight out of that out of that bow. I mean, it, it's going to be accurate. You just got to decide in to be accurate. You have to be accurate yourself. There's a lot of, as humans, there's a lot of, you know, outside factors, right? But if you can get the, the machine to be repetitive and continually send that arrow out of it every single time perfectly, right, the rest of it really just falls on you to make a good shot. Um, so... So yeah, I mean, when it comes to hunting and just I guess any of our archery stuff, I mean, your draw length is so important. And I'm finding that as my years and I gain more experience, you know, really down to even the an eighth of an inch, a sixteenth of an inch, you know, twisting a cable, um, you know, one direction or the other, um, when you're when you're really messing with stuff, I mean, I can feel that now. I know that I just put a twist in the cable and can feel that extra little bit of draw length um, just in where I anchor and. D loop length, but, you know, all of these certain things um, that you can play with um, to make little adjustments and really get that thing dialed in and get that bow fitting you perfectly. But um, having a good shop, you know, of people that are knowledgeable with the basics and they're like actually knowledgeable with stuff. Again, I just set up a bow for a buddy of mine out in Iowa because um, he just said that he's got nobody to go to. Like Iowa's the biggest hunting state in the in the world <laughs> and he said there's not a decent pro shop within an hour and a half to two hours of him he goes if you want to go make a killing like come out here and start an archery shop a good archery shop i was like well damn that'd be fun so but it's like do you
0: need a tech i'll i'll help. Right? i'll invest in your <laughs> your, your yeah. entrepreneurship yeah. right there
2: <laughs> yeah exactly so it's like but he's telling me that i'm like man it just blows my mind i mean i'm sure there's guys out there that just know enough right but if you're gonna have a business and be an archery tech I, I would just hope that you you really know your stuff and you're setting draw lengths correctly you're you know telling guys some decent form habits again everybody's form could be a slight you know variation but there's a lot of the same um, you know factors you know anchor points and um, you know releases and all of this stuff that are somewhat the same so um, so yeah I mean your draw length is huge um, you know, making sure you're you're consistent with your anchor points, whether that be your release hand on your face, I don't care where it's at, you know, you got guys with campaigns that put their thumb all the way back here, um, you got guys that'll just draw their knuckle and put it underneath their ear, I lock down here on my jaw, I mean, depending on the release that you're using, all of this different stuff. So, um, you know, just making sure that you can be consistent with whatever you're doing. Um, and then that way, the machine's consistent. If you're consistent, you know those you're going to get consistent results, and that's what we're always trying to, to chase and fight, whether it be target archery or you know we're hunting. Um, so yeah, your your draw length, the island of it, end the poundage and stuff. Um, again, if you're over poundage uh, on your bow, you're going to struggle with your draw and all of this stuff, and um, you know it's really not going to be that enjoyable of an experience. Um, so, so yeah, and then even getting down into like stabilization, I still don't know that much about it, but playing with weight and trying to figure out how to get that pin to sit um, as still as possible. Um, you know, so you're really just trying to to trying to get everything to fit you as best as possible. Um, you know a bow and archery equipment is like the perfect pair of shoes. It's not going to fit the same person over and over and over again. I might be able to pick up my cousin Nolan. I've got his bow hanging here in my shop. Um, him and I are the same anchor point, same uh, peep height, right but his his kisser button is half an inch different than mine. So I took his kisser button off because I borrowed his bow for a weekend, mm-hmm. so like I, I didn't have to move his peep or anything, but like those little variances are just different between everybody, and mm-hmm. then how you hold the bow and uh, grip all of this stuff just is is such a big factor, so um. No, I kind of went down a
1: rabbit hole no, there you're but, yeah we are uh, we're known be- for rabbit holes yeah. here so you're right yeah, on yeah, track exactly. yeah
0: and to, <laughs> to, to reach like kind of I know sometimes these pro shops especially like in September it's hard for them to to give you all this stuff and you know try to when this is their busiest season they're trying to just get a lot of people out the door I mean it's not like they, they don't care about you it's just hard for them because this is their busy season and how many people are going in there a week before opening season and say, Hey, I need new strings on this bow or something like they're like, well, I'm open all year yeah. long. And you come in a week before opening season. so like, that's yeah. like the
2: only reason you should be going to an archery shop in September is to reload on the exact arrow that you've been shooting all summer because you blew them up and we're busting them up and stuff to pick up more broadheads because you've, you know, you want the ones you've got are dull or, you know, get more blades and stuff pick up camo, uh, you know, maybe mm-hmm. get some, maybe a new stabilizer or something, you know, but again, to go into a shop in September, like you just said, when it's their busiest time of the year, hunting season's right around the corner, they're likely not going to have the strings you need if you're getting custom strings mm-hmm. or aftermarket strings. They got to order them. Those are going to be a couple weeks. Then they got to put them on, retune it. all. And you're exactly right. They're not going to be able to give you the time that you deserve as a customer. Some shops will, but then they're almost at a disadvantage because now the hour and a half that it just took them to get you set up and tuned and all this stuff, they just let six other customers, seven other customers out the door, right? They just right. lost $500 in in, in, uh, in gear sales or something. So yeah. again, it's, I've worked in a couple of shops. I've worked at Long Range. I worked at the shop over here in Detroit. I mean, it's never going to change. Right. Yeah. But it's like, if I can put out the PSA of go get your new bow in February or March, when they're not busy, go get your new arrows or go get refletched in June, you know, July, when you've still got some time to go before. Go get your new strings in in May, right. you know, so they've got time to order them and set it back up, and they can give you, you know, all of that time that you deserve as a customer, as a paying customer, um, you know, to get it tuned and get it fit and get it dialed right back in, so you're you're good to go come your elk trip, you your out of state archery trip you know whatever it might be so but, yeah it's it's crazy that people still show up and buy a brand new bow you know two weeks before season yeah. and, and then go, go drop even if they're dropping two thousand dollars you know they, they're just going to go shoot um you know for two weeks you know Man. i think okay. i could do it i'm not the best in the world but again I've, I've shot enough bows i've shot enough archery yeah i could set up a bow today and be hunting with it tomorrow morning you know if i had my marks you know so i you know, i've done that so many times a set of bows and stuff like that but you know somebody who doesn't have a lot of experience showing up two weeks before season still mind buckles me yeah
0: and so, the simple fact is like you got to support these shops because like because some of us don't have bow presses at home i don't have a bow press and then if you don't support these shops i mean unfortunately we had hunters done; they shut down but they just reopened so that was a good sign you know but yep. when that shop went down i had one more shop and then other than that the closest one was like an hour and like 25 minutes you know we gotta get to the point like iowa you know michigan such a prevalent place you're you're gonna run out of these places if you don't support them so you gotta you gotta yep. go to them i mean it's, sometimes it's nice to order stuff offline and it comes right to your door but sometimes you you know, you pay the extra five bucks and stop in your shop and just get the arrows there or whatever. Or, you know, if they don't have it there, then order it online or something like that. But you got to support yeah. these because. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Uh, it's a... I was just
2: going to say, I mean, I still go buy, you know, stuff at, at a couple of different archery shops I'll pop into. I mean, um, I usually go see Jamie Juilliard down at Adams, down in Milan. Uh, if I'm ever in Holland, I'm always going to see the guys at Long Range. I just, I love I miss being over there with those guys. I was in the shop every day, you know, helping out. I was basically an employee without getting paid. I mean, I got—I <laughs> was shooting for them, so I got some discounts on stuff. But you know, I just love—I love a shop atmosphere. I love working on bows. I love being a bow technician, which is why I've got my own shop. I mean, I work on all my friends and cousins and stuff's bows, but um, I still go buy stuff if I need it or if I can't get it from Lancaster quick enough. Or I still, yeah, I just love being in an archery shop. So I still try to go and support yeah or if i'm gonna you know i got some buddies that had ranges and stuff or that were running shops they never charged me for range time but i made sure to buy something you know give it get that money back to them somehow you know buy a t-shirt buy a hat just do something if they were giving me a favor so i, I tried to go out of my way to to throw some money at them you know right. even if they aren't making a ton of money on range fees and all that stuff yeah you're exactly right Uh, I can't say like Detroit for anywhere else I've been Detroit or metro Detroit area it's got to be the most saturated place when it comes to archery shops though for being such a industrial or metropolitan place I mean within where I live there's within 45 minutes I can be at like six different shops so it's like and it sucks because I'd love to open my own shop someday but it's so saturated here that I probably couldn't get bow contracts unless I wanted to sell an odd, you know, brand or something like that. I probably, you know, there's too many close to right. here that, yeah, we've already got people. We don't want to step on their toes. They've been a dealer for 20 years. So, and it's like, okay, so it's like, it's a it's a gift and a curse, you know, it's awesome that, yeah, I could be at a, a bunch of different ranges and a couple of different shops really, really quick, you know, um, but that, again, they also kind of maybe hurt each other and cannibalize each other that, yeah, there's so many that close.
0: Well, it sounds like we got to go to Iowa. Yeah, that's true.
1: We'd all be super disappointed about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. if I could convince yeah, my I, wife I blew to, my mind. yeah, if I could convince my wife to move to Iowa, um, we would be there yesterday.
2: Yeah, he said that, again. My buddy, his, his name is Rendo, um, and, and so he uh, he said the closest place that he goes to is um, either the shop that the guys from THP have gone into a couple times out in Iowa that they put on their YouTube channel or Shields. I think there's a Shields in like Nebraska or something, um, cl- within like two hours of him. Like he has to make a trip <laughs> he has to go a whole state. for the day.
0: Yeah. That's right? crazy. Yeah. yeah
2: and it's like mind blowing. And so, um, so, yeah, to have to travel that far versus what we have here in Michigan, where again, within an hour, you could be at another.
1: Yeah, I'm already bitching that again. I have to drive an hour tomorrow because I'm an idiot <laughs> and I'm going. I, I, choose, I chose to go there. I have a bow shop that's only 15, 20 minutes from my house. I'm just not a big fan of the things they do. So, I went to another bow shop. But, yeah, an hour doesn't seem like a bad idea when you've got to travel to a whole nother
2: state to get to yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, too. You go to the people that you trust. You know, archery stuff and setup if you're not knowledgeable or not knowledgeable enough you're gonna go to people that you trust uh, that hey yeah, I've had great results with every bow this guy's set up for me he's never steered me wrong the money that I've spent with him has been worth it so yeah you're always gonna go back uh, to the people that you trust I mean I have um, you know four four shops that I have good people at that I've shot with that I know really really well they carry good equipment and things that I trust so when I tell somebody, yeah, you should go pick this up. Well, where can I get it? I can usually rattle off. Well, where do you live? You know, I can usually rattle off a shop that I would trust that's fairly close. So, um, you know, it's good to have those relationships and, and stuff too. But, yeah, I've, I've found that, um, you know, I've found about three to four shops that I feel really comfortable sending people to. Um, so that's usually where I, where I either go spend my money or I'm sending people that I go spend theirs. So.
0: Right. And it's pretty easy yeah. in archery, I can tell you that. You can spend a lot of money real quick.
1: Yeah, it does not take much.
0: <laughs> Luckily, everything uh, I buy is on sale and almost they gave it to me, right? That's what I tell my wife.
2: Yep, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I swear. Yeah, yeah, anytime now. I mean, I'm I'm usually buying and selling stuff on Facebook and groups. And like I just sold a site and shipped it out this morning. I mean, I try to always offset my costs. That's one thing I think. That maybe be a good point to tell people that whether they're getting into target archery or hunting equipment or just archery in general right it is an expensive sport if you walk into a pro shop and want to go pick up a flagship bow with a good set of arrows and um stabilizers a sight and all this stuff you're going to be in 1500 2000 and you better be ready for it quick you know in an hour <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah. Like there, there, goes, there goes the the paycheck but like even myself with some of my target bows uh, my hunting bow that I'm shooting this year, I, I'm not under contract yet um, with anybody, um, but i picked all this stuff up used. I mean, you all can right. get last year's model for 50%, 60%, or, you know, 40, 50% off. You know, guys want to go shoot the newest one, so they've got six eight months underneath the bow, replace the strings, and, you know, it's good to go. So I've never had any issues getting burned with bad equipment. You know, I do my research on the seller a lot of times, or just make sure they've got some references and stuff, but... Anyway, arrows, stabilizers, all this stuff. I mean, you can pick up used equipment cheap, cheaper than going to buy a new if you want. And it, it kind of contradicts some of my our conversation of helping out a local shop. So I completely get get that. But if you're pinched and and stuck for cash, you know, again, you can pick up that that stabilizer that you need for a little cheaper online if you want to. You know, so people don't have to go drop that those big dollars in the shops if they don't have it. Again, I, I, I'm all for trying to grow the sport of archery. I don't care what, what area it is, target or hunting. Um, so again, it, if you can go afford to spend the money in the shop or, or go to a a lesser-costing bow and equipment, great. Go do it. Go buy it out of the shop. Go support that shop. But if you have to, you can find used equipment.
0: Yeah. So I mean, I mean how many times have... Has uh, this happened to you where you buy something brand new or you buy something used or whatever and you get it and you don't like it? I mean, if you buy a brand new, you just lose 40% of the value. So
2: Yep. Yeah, that is the one downfall that I've tried um you know, I've tried to figure out an entrepreneurial mindset of how I can make some side money with archery. Um I hope and pray I I'm continuing to work hard and I win someday and competing with the best in the world and taking home paychecks, you know, every, every tournament, but you know, how can we do that? And I still, I haven't been able to come up, but if you could come up with a rental system or if you had the money to start a shop, even with the target archery stuff that people could come in and buy or or rent stabilizers, Uh, stabilizers is a huge thing, right? I don't know if I want to try a 27 or a 30 inch front bar on my, on my, uh, on my target bows or a 12 or a 10 or a 15 inch sidebar on it? Do I want to try V bars? All of this stuff, Uh, my V bar setup that I have on my Altus right here, retail, um, seven, $800 and three stabilizers.
3: Yeah.
2: And then adding all the extra weight that that doesn't come with it. Weights are absurd. I mean, you're probably in almost a grand, you know, if you really want to put a bunch of weight on it and and quick connects and all that stuff just for stabilizers. (laughs) I mean, it's unreal. And then if I didn't like it or if I don't find that that works for me, now I got to go and sell it for 75% of what I just paid for it. I just lost a bunch and you know, it stinks. So I'm, I'm still trying to think out a way or how you could come up with a system to have people try things. I know some people have tried it with releases and stuff, but um, yeah, it's, it's a, uh, it's an area in archery that I think needs to be um, needs to be addressed. Yeah. I think so. Somebody can figure out a good system to, rent equipment or try equipment um because i know it's also big for shops right if they want to go put in all of this target side of target archery equipment it's a pretty big investment yeah it's taking up all space and and all of this stuff um you know when maybe they don't have a very big uh target archery community that comes in or something so it's really got to be the juice has got to be worth the squeeze for the shops to bring all that stuff in. long range does it they've got a lot of target archery stuff target archery arrows and bars and um you know some bows but that even that to try a new bow you gotta yeah. hope that the rep is in that day or no no the shops bringing in uh, the archery rep uh, brand rep that day and they have some target bows with them right or you better be at an ASA nationally to go shoot them so um, so yeah testing stuff is it gets expensive in yeah the sport.
0: I seen a TRX one time brand new on the shelf at a at an archery shop and i was like holy moly and he said the only reason that's there is because somebody bought it and then they backed out and then they already it was already shipping on the way and that's the only time i've ever yep. seen like a, a target bow on the ship, an actual brand new one so yeah i've,
2: yeah, seen, I've seen, seen some yeah. trx 34s you know those those bows that can kind of cross hybrid, over between hunting yeah. Yeah. yeah hunting and target but even that man i mean still expensive hunting bow yeah if you're gonna do both I can understand it so I don't know too many shops that were willing to invest in a couple of those bows to put them on their shelves so it was really by special order and stuff so so yeah it's um, it's tough for shops to do both yeah they really got to be having a a pretty big um, you know community of people and, and target shooters and stuff for them to really dig dive in and and make that investment into carrying those products
0: yeah and then the big you know if they buy a product with, say a site or something for 300 bucks and it doesn't sell and then the next year model comes out now they lost out on that now they got to sell it for you know half off or something so Yeah, dirt cheap.
2: Yeah, just to get it out of the just get it out of the shelf or off the shelf or out of the case or something like that. Yeah. yeah so. so Yeah.
0: Well, is there anything else you want to talk? I mean, I know we could probably talk for hours, but I don't want to keep you too yeah. long and all that. So,
2: <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, yeah, I'm just uh, I'm excited for hunting season to come up. I mean, again, I feel this is probably the least prepared scouting wise I've got, you know, coming up. But again, I've got some really good public pieces that I've I've hunted a lot. You know, I've got pins on X is great to be able to remember a lot of that, um, you know, intel and stuff, and then. But again, I've probably never done more testing when it comes to my hunting equipment, finally. Um, you know, So I'm excited to, to shoot. Um, and I'm loving my Hoyt Venom. Um, I, I've, I've shot a bunch of different hunting bows and stuff. And so, um, but it took me a little while to get it tuned, but it was from, from some of my own um, lack of knowledge for these bows and these systems. It's kind of a downfall to um, changing some brands and shooting some different bows over the last couple of years, I got really stuck shooting Matthews. I knew exactly how to tune them, you know, very, very easy to work on. These, these Hoyts are engineered a little bit different. And so, um, I was running into a really bad, uh, high tear on paper with my hunting bow and I couldn't figure it out for, for a month. I was talking to a, a couple of different pros, people that have shot them trying to go through all this stuff. Um, I was going through different arrows, and that's kind of where I was going back to my arrow testing, all of this stuff, just trying to figure this out, like what the heck is going on. And all it took was a call to Dylan at Long Range, who was a Hoyt dealer. I said, "Listen, man, while I got you on the phone? I was asking him how late he'd be at the shop when I was over there last." And I said, "Hey, I'm having this issue. Like, what do I do?" "Oh, run the run the arrow higher in the burger hole. Run <laughs> run it higher than you think." It's like that's it. Because yeah, move your knocking point up, you know, an eighth of an inch and uh you know run it run it through the top half of the burger hole <laughs> came home moved my rest up retied in my knock sets and moved my d loop up uh, a little bit more than i think an eighth of an inch leveled it all out bull, bull hole air <laughs> shaft and flesh. i'm going you've got to be kidding me i've been chasing my tail for six weeks mm-hmm. and then um yeah so it was just crazy just something little like that so um so yeah man now that i've got that thing rocking i'm, I'm ready to go so um yeah, I'm just, um, I might dabble in the saddle hunting a little bit. So that's another chapter, uh, that I'm, I'm talking to some buddies, all of my buddies saddle hunt. Um, I'm diehard into my tree stand. I made that investment into that lone wolf custom gear system. Um, so it's, it's, uh, I got, it's like pulling teeth for me. I'm just stubborn. I'm like, Hey, this works for me. Right. Um, I'll be just fine. I, I can get in, I've killed deer with it. Like it's good to go. But I spent a, a good day helping helping out at the Genesis 3D uh, mobile hunting event over in um, uh, Ravana two weekends ago, and um, it started out more on the saddle side. Uh, Austin really makes a lot of products for saddle hunting and mobile hunting and stuff, and uh, but he started to make a lot of things for tree stand and and just mobile hunting in general. Um, and so spending a, a full day around a bunch of saddle hunters and bunch of different saddles and stuff i'm like okay this is pretty comfortable i can see sitting here you know especially on those days that you know i'm I'm rut hunting and sitting all day or or, you know it's gun season and you're putting an all-day sit-in and all that stuff so um so yeah that's another area i might might dabble in a little bit too so but but yeah other than that man i'm excited for for fall to get here it's been a long target season again i go from basically december to you know end of august now um so it's, it's a long, long target season and uh, a grind. So, yeah, I'm ready to go sit in a tree stand and soak up the super-fast three months that we get.
1: So do you plan on going to Missouri again?
2: If my stinking cousins would stop bailing on me. So <laughs> my one cousin just bought a house. Uh, my other cousin, uh, he just got a new job, and I think he's eaten up some some vacation time already this year. So, you know, those two guys are my my best friends and I travel and shoot with them as, be- as best or as most as I can. and um, So they've got some stuff and, you know, I, my wife, again, is a saint. She, she knows I love hunting and I, and I work hard at it. So when I ask her, say, hey, I'm going to go to Missouri for a couple of days, she's usually pretty cool with it. So, um, you know, I didn't figure the guy with a kid and, uh, you know, a wife at home would be the one that can still get to go. Those two don't have kids or anything like that. So. <laughs> um, to get back to it. Um, it's kind of up in the air right now. Um, I'm not quite sure. Um, I really don't want to go back in mid to late October to early November again when all those people were there. I kind of want to go, um, that first week, but even then first weekend might be just an onslaught of people. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of tossing up the idea. Again, it's cheap to do. The tags aren't too expensive. You can get them over the counter. Um, you know, hotel for a couple of nights or sleep in the back of my truck, you know, if the weather's nice enough. So, so yeah, It's up in the air. I'm leaning towards no, to be honest, uh, just because I don't want to go by myself. I couldn't get a deer out right now if I tried um, by myself. So I'm trying to nudge some buddies, like, hey, what's your interest level like? Would you want to go for a couple of days, a weekend trip type of thing? So, yeah, the hardest part about
1: is- the DIY hunts or just out-of-state hunts in general is finding committed individuals that will go with you. So no, I've had it yeah. down to Missouri, but it's not going to be quite DIY. We're going through an outfitter. So a lot less work, yeah. a, lot, a lot more money.
2: <laughs> yeah. That deer behind me right there, that 10 point came from Nebraska. That was my first outfitter experience. Um, it was, a, I I would say a semi guided, you know, Hey, they, they told us where deer were at and these are the stands we want you to go to. So, um, you know, so there was that, but, um, you know, uh, they pulled deer out of the field there for us, like all that stuff they wanted to you know, keep the areas protected from gut piles and coyotes and all that too. So um, if I'm being honest with you, I paid way too much money. I mean, that's a great deer. I had an awesome time with my family, um, but just I'm stingy like that. <laughs> from no, what I just went yeah. and killed in Missouri for <laughs> seven, 800 bucks versus, yeah. versus this, you know, again, we had lodging and we were, we are fed. It was, it was a great experience. Don't get me wrong. But um, again, I, I paid way too much money for the awesome experience i had in missouri to do it myself and scout myself and and find that deer
1: yeah that's how Uh, it was for me in kansas last year but for missouri i've never gone on an outfitted hunt so we'll see how it goes but yeah like we have the lodging the food and all that um there's definitely the pro to it is is it's not going to be nearly as mentally and physically exhausting as it was when i was out in kansas or even for when you were in missouri because you're not going in as blind as what we were you know when you went to missouri or when i went to kansas you you, you don't spend a couple of days looking for deer here like you just show up they, they already have deer kind of pattern so we'll see i'm excited to see how it goes but we're going i think the 22nd through the 26th or 27th of october
2: okay so the thing about that is that you'll maybe you'll realize if it's your first like outfitter hunt is i was assuming you're paying a pretty good price to go for the week and and go hunt you're you're gonna have some pressure to kill something and get the most out of that that money
1: oh yeah i can imagine this this deer was
2: uh was right at the 130 mark they had a 130 minimum and i was like okay 10 point i'm trying to gauge their minimum like that's some pressure too right like don't screw this up right otherwise it's it's
1: another 500 bucks if i mess it up yeah exactly
2: (laughs) yeah yeah so it's like okay so i'm gauging deer all all week and then we hadn't gotten any deer down. And it was the last morning. And I I shot that one at 20 yards. I saw, I saw 50 bucks all week, but they're all that two and a half year old, 120, you know, borderline ish. And I'm going, I I can't shoot that. You know, I'd shoot that deer all day in Michigan, but I'm not going to shoot that. I'm going to hold out for a good 150, 160. And it's like, that was the closest one. I'm like, okay, I, I like that deer right there. You know, really nice rice rack and stuff so i sent it and um yeah my cousin shot another one that was just over 130 i mean we were grinding for those, those you know, yeah years. i can so tell like, you
1: one a buck that's 130 inches walks out on day one i'm probably sending it i don't know that i'm gonna let that yeah. walk by because ultimately again yeah i mean you know the outfitter we're going with isn't as expensive as other outfitters might be i mean you can get all the way up yeah. into the three four five thousand dollar range for outfitters we didn't spend that but there's still a minimum and i still paid a good amount of money and i still have to pay for tags you know when i get down there like you don't get the yeah. tags are not part of the deal mm-hmm. so well, you know, know so you're spending an extra couple hundred bucks and yeah 130 inch buck walks by i don't care if it's day one i'll sit in camp for the next four days but you know 130 inch buck yep. sits by like i'm not gonna go oh man i hope a 150 comes by tomorrow because you only have Four or five days to hunt, and that's not a long time.
3: Yeah,
2: things. I mean, again, with a rifle, you talk about this anywhere. Archery hunting, archery hunting. So many things have to come together, and go right for you to harvest an animal. They really, really do. And so, even if you're in a window that you have paid a couple grand to do for four days, the again, the pressure. You you feel it. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I didn't like it. I mean, it's like, man, I'm waiting. I'm like, okay, where is that 150? You've showed us pictures. You know, we know that these deer are here. Where are they at? Where are they at? And, you know, we went at late October. They were starting to rut a little bit. You know, we saw some chasing, but we thought, man, we missed it. We missed it by a week. You know, again, so things got to line up just phase-wise and all that stuff. So, so yeah, man, I hope you're successful. I mean, it's an awesome time to do it. Again, it's a good camaraderie trip, you know, all that stuff I'm sure you're going with. Some buddies and family or something, but so yeah. But it's not something I'll probably go spend the money to do again. <laughs> uh, the DIY thing, I just get way more enjoyment out of chasing it down myself. You know, I'd rather come up empty, spend half as much money, and be exhausted at the end of the week from just grinding it out and not, you know, not finding it. But man, just like last year, when those puzzle pieces align, even if I just got stupid dumb luck and happen to be in the right place at the right time i mean that just felt so much better you know than yeah deer down call out outfitter you know come drag him out so it's, um, yeah i guess yeah, so if greater. that
1: does happen we'll have to see i guess the difference in feelings because my kansas buck is a lot like your missouri buck uh stories are a lot different but the way the week the two weeks planned out, the way the whole story panned out, like it was, you know, this is probably the most rewarding deer I've, I've ever put on the ground. So to go with an outfitter, we'll see. Um, I'm going to agree. I, I don't think the emotions are going to be quite the same. Don't get me wrong. If I go there and shoot a 160 inch buck, am I going to be jacked up? Yeah. But to shoot a 140 inch buck on the ground in Kansas, on public ground, a little bit different than a 160 inch buck that, you know, while still free range, it's, it doesn't get the pressure that, you know, the bucks right. that on public land are getting out. It doesn't matter what state you're in. So there's a lot more yeah. things that got to come together for you. You got to find here, you know, so no, I definitely see that. Um Yeah, it, it'll be different and we'll see how I like it. I, I'm excited, but yeah, I, I've got a lot of the same kind of results as far as uh, the DIY versus the outfitter, but we'll see yeah. how it goes. I think
2: the only outfitter type I'd go do again, like, is if that minimum was at like 150. If I was really having to struggle to to not kill the 150s because they were everywhere, you know what i was seeing? Yeah. <clears throat> three, four day. You know, if your if your average buck in camp was like a 170. <laughs> Okay, I'd probably go pay for that again, you know, it was the biggest deer I'd ever kill at that point, but, you know, I had killed, you know, 150 before, so again, I was pumped, you know, but again, I was there to go shoot 150, 160 inch deer, and, you know, we weren't seeing them like we were supposed to, you know, again, we just missed the time, and I was like, hey, you know what, I'm not leaving here empty handed, so if I see a decent deer, I'm sending it, so, and that's exactly what I did, so yeah, it's it's certainly a different feeling, um but yeah man i hope you enjoy it it's it's still a ton right? You know yeah. and i'm sure your opportunities will be better than what maybe they could be on public land so you know you might that was a cool thing about this that going to the outfielder i mean we had so many deer around us we were averaging 50 60 deer a day
1: i'll be you honest know? if i get that that will be nice because in kansas i seen uh six deer in two weeks so <laughs> it wasn't very yeah. many
2: yeah. <laughs> Same, so. man. yeah i mean it was it was cool just another like side story i mean One of the stands that I killed that deer out of and I hunted it a couple times, they got so used to hunters getting dropped off that they would just stage in the cedars. Like middle of the day, it's two o'clock. The the guide comes and drops me off on the side by side. I know where the stand is. It's well marked. I go back and walk up and and ascend the tree and get the tree stand. As soon as I am up in the tree, I still do not have my bow up. I've got deer walking at me. (laughs) It's like they're within 50 yards. They see the truck and as soon as the truck leaves, they know it's safe. They usually can't pick out the hunter or something like that. But I had it two, two, two sits that I did not even have my bow up uh, the tree, and I had deer already around me that had to have been there the entire time. So yeah, that is a cool, cool thing. That especially coming from Michigan, like I'm not one of those hunters that's just sitting in spots that are just engulfed with deer, and I'm I'm having to pick and choose, or you know I'm seeing deer right when I sit down. No, I'm usually seeing them at last light. Like yeah. barely, like, <laughs> yeah. to see them, maybe take a shot, maybe not. Yeah. So it's like to see deer at those numbers and, and during daylight, and get to really watch them and stuff was really, really cool. So, um, and they weren't even on food, nothing like that. I mean, it wasn't bay piled or anything. So just they had stands in good spots and you just were seeing deer all day long. So it was that was, that was a really enjoyable part. Obviously, harvesting was cool, but the really enjoyable part was sitting there a lot of the days and just seeing tons and tons of deer and just hoping the next one that walked out was, was that the one. big one. And yeah. Shot at it. yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: so. So that's what I always tell people to yeah. like, enjoy the process. Cause like sometimes the animal is not about the whole journey. I mean, like when I went out Wyoming and all that, like so many, cause I did pay a lot of money. A lot of other hunters were so worried about get, harvesting a, a bear and I, don't get me wrong. Like that's in everybody's head, but like I was just having a blast you know just soaking up all the little stuff i mean just all the little stuff so a lot of people like you said the process is so unique and you know you don't worry about the money sometimes just worry about the 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 process and enjoy yourself i mean if you do get animal if you don't i mean just don't beat yourself up and don't cut yourself short because it didn't happen i mean they are animal they you're in their bedroom you're gonna they got an advantage, so even if you paid a lot yeah. of money or not, I mean, they're still going
1: to... Yeah, they don't care a whole lot about how much money you yeah. pay. They care about them not yeah. getting shot. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I went with my dad, my uncle, and both my cousins. There was five of us in camp. I mean, to, to go shoot a really good deer and have my dad right there in camp with me, I mean, that was, that was awesome. That was special to me. I mean, when my cousin called us after he had shot his deer, you know, the next night or the next day... um you know, and and then getting to go out there and watch him track it and and coming across this thing. I mean, it was the biggest damn deer body wise I've ever seen in my life. Um, But that was cool. You know, to have that type of stuff, just like we would back in, you know, Michigan deer camp. You know, when somebody's successful and you got your family and you know closest buddies around. I mean, again, at the end of the day, that's that's the fun stuff. You know, the hunt's cool, the harvest is cool, but you know, you're never going to forget the people that were in camp, the times and stuff that you had and you know the little stories and and all that stuff so yeah you're exactly right it's it's all that other stuff that's that's the cherry on top it's it's the the camaraderie and the family and and the friends and the time that you had in camp together that's that's always the best part
0: right. well uh is there anything you want to shout out before you leave I and mean, your instagram your whatever i mean
2: um yeah i mean my instagram is just uh my first initial and last name my last name is <laughs> terribly hard to pronounce and spell but it's Yarmark. it's my instagram is just r y a h r m a r k t uh i'm on your friend list joe i think so yeah, um, yeah you can find me there and then uh you know, yeah, facebook obviously um but no man i'm just i'm hoping to uh to to just have a good hunting season, and and um, I'm already thinking about next 3D season. Um, you know, going to shoot professional. I mean, I feel blessed with the opportunity to be able to do it. I mean, uh, I feel like I'm ready. Um, you know, I feel feel confident that I can go compete at that level. I'm not. I'd be. I hate that I'll say it. I, maybe I'm not ready to go win that at that level, but I'm confident I can go compete. And if I if I put a, a weekend together, I yeah, I do think I can win. Uh, so that's a, that's a good feeling to have, and I'm excited for next year. So, just go enjoy hunting season this fall, and um, start preparing for next year. And yeah, we'll, we'll enjoy it. But we got it.
1: Well, good luck this fall, um, and good luck um, next archery season. I mean, that's a pretty big step. So I I really hope, and uh, I truly think that you'll do well. I mean, I don't know a whole lot about you as far as archery, but. When you take a yeah. jump like that, I imagine it's not uh, for the faint of heart. So, um, good luck you know, with good luck with that, and you know, hope, good luck this deer season.
2: Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm I'm excited to, again. This I love doing this stuff. It's it's fun to talk, and again, we could probably if you get some good people on a podcast. You can go down <laughs> rabbit holes. I think that's why Joe Rogan's podcasts are you know three hours long, right? If yeah, and to watch those. So, uh, but yeah, man, I appreciate you guys you know let me come on and talk to you a little bit and yeah. uh yeah i'm interested and excited to see how hunting season goes for all of us
0: yeah no oh, thanks for coming on uh, yeah i really appreciate it i mean taking your time all your busy schedule and i know you're pretty strict on your routines and all that for how high you're shooting at so i really appreciate you coming on and taking the time we'll definitely have you back on and so
2: yeah let me know all right. yeah I'm excited so yeah let me let's uh let's do it after hunting season we'll recap season and kind <laughs> of get excited for target season
0: all right there we go sounds great man thank you oh
2: cool. thanks guys take yep. care have a
0: great night yep. have a
3: good one.